Good morning again. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be with you on a occasion such as the one we are privileged to celebrate today. Wonderful things that God can do with seemingly unwonderful people. But what a gracious God we do serve to bring a community of folks together like this group and have one thing in common, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that thrills me the most this morning is not the gray hair I'm seeing in the audience, but it's all those young faces. Amen. God bless these pretty girls. Amen. Forget it, guys. <laughs> but my goodness, what a wonderful congregation. Good to be with you again. For those of you who do not know me, well, I am not from Texas. I do reside in Louisiana, unfortunately. But originally, I'm from the city of Chicago, Illinois. So according to Southern and Northern terminology, I'm a Yankee. But uh, in Texas, if you will, if you'll smile at me, then I'll feel more at home. But anyway, delighted to be here. What Pastor has said to you regarding our relationship is true. Probably it's more than 20 years, uh, maybe, but uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I'm going to say this to you. I know he's sitting here, and that's all right. But uh, in the construction, construction of what we are now engaged in, God knew exactly who to put here to make this happen. And you have undoubtedly, and this is not only my attitude, but hopefully yours also, one of the finest spiritual leaders that you can have to help you gain a greater insight into the things of God. And your applause means you give me your approval. And that's good. Amen. Uh, it was announced to you by scripture that God in his wisdom has created facets to which the body of Christ can be developed to establish on this earth his kingdom and his purpose. They are designated in terms as apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. Their main objective in their calling and in their position is that they are to refine, to cultivate, and bring human beings out of a mentality set by the world in which we live to a different understanding of a kingdom that God intends to set up. And we do that through what we are doing this morning and the fellowship that we gain with one another. Now, in that category, I fall into the one category that seems to be where young people are most upset, and that is I am a teacher. <laughs> and I am a teacher even by my profession. But I'll tell you something about my teaching. I teach from a different book. Amen. 
I, I approach a different subject. I, I'm ingrained in a different mentality and lifestyle. And because I have the privilege of doing that, my book is a book of life. And I hope this morning I can share with you life. Life that will change you. Life that will help you to run the race, to fight the battle, and overcome the struggles of what Jesus said. In this life, you shall. There's no question about it and no way we can escape it, even if we choose to. But in this life, you shall have tribulation. And understanding that about the world and the circumstance in which he li we live. He said, in the midst of it all, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. One of the sustaining factors of helping us get through is the word of God. And I'm going to share it with you this morning. If you want to say amen, fine. If you don't, that's not fine. <laughs> Thank you. If you want to agree, uh, please don't do this. But this is approved. You can do that. But anyway, this morning, what I endeavor to do is to take your attention to the book of the psalmist. This man has learned a great deal about God because he did a great deal of living. And God brought him through some tragic, unfortunate, but self-ordained situations that he found himself in. A great deal of understanding of who God is and the way God works, we now can extract from his experience and we can apply to our own lives if we're wise enough to do that. So I'm going to read to you just one verse of scripture. He writes to us from Psalms chapter 25, verse 14. And I want you to listen very, very carefully particularly to the way David has constructed the words of admonition he wants me to share with you this morning. The 14th verse of the 25th chapter says, The secret, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them and of course, he's already classified who the them consists of, those that fear him. He will show them his covenant. God has something to reveal to you. Amen. In looking at this verse of scripture, I have come to this conclusion. This one sentence, and that's all it is. It is just one sentence in the word of God could be the most amazing statement to describe the incredible plan that God has purposed for humanity. But we'll never know what that purpose is until we understand what it is that God wants to accomplish. Because within this one sentence, there are two relative statements. 
And I bring your attention back to them this morning. The one is this, the secret of the Lord. Does the Lord have secrets? Apparently he does. But apparently he also wants to share them. He also wants to disclose them. He also wants to inform, and may I put it this way, a certain element of society in what that secret consists of. And the Bible says he will show them. He will perform it. He will enlighten. He will instruct. This combination really uh, creates a connection of unity. A unity between God and man. And the bonding is achieved by one thing. God has made a covenant. Amen. God is represented as bringing to those, to those who fear him, a secret, which is not revealed, I'm going to put it this way, to the general population. There is an element of people that God wants to share something exclusive with. And those people maintain the leverage to receive that because they fear him. They fear him. The secret existing with those who fear him communicates God's purpose. Now the psalmist said it, he will show them. He will show them his covenant. In other words, he will expose. He will inform. He will reveal a secret to someone that has never understood it before. God will interpret how. How will he interpret this secret? He will interpret it by his actions, by the way he performs it by the way he brings it into the pattern of our lives. God will interrupt it by his actions. He will make plain that which, he ha- which has been a secret. We, we can say a secret is a mystery. It is something that we have kept for ourselves, but it's ready to be released. And may I say this to you, we do not, even on a human level, we do not release secrets to just anyone. Now that was a good place for somebody to say either an amen or an oh me, I mean, (laughs) oh me is right. Well, secrets are private. They consist of things that We sometimes want to shield, but we will expose them to someone we have confidence in, someone we know that maintains a strong level of integrity, that when we do release what we have keeping hidden as a mystery, we know that in doing so, we are sharing it with someone who will respect our position. 
So the psalmist is informing us of this certain group of people. And who are they? They relatively consist of a quality called fear. This secret is not related to future events. Now, if you want to understand future events in a prophetic way, the Bible is quite explicit with them. You can read the word and they're there. He is neither saying the secret involves action or interaction with history, and it certainly has nothing to do with the political arenas of the world. That is not what he is talking about when he says they have a secret. He means through covenant. We possess an unshakable relationship with God. A relationship that not every human being has. And that is not God's fault. But every human being is not going to enjoy what we are enjoying this morning. And it is not God's logic to dismiss anyone, but it's a choice. It's a choice. It literally portrays an atmosphere of unconditional trust, safety, security, achieved through God's covenant word. Now, I am convinced. I've been in ministry many, many years of my life. But I am convinced that there is one objective that strongly moves the powerful arm of an omnipotent God. And that is God loves, without any exception, all humanity. Amen. There isn't a human being on the face of the earth, regardless of race, creed, color, color, station, education, position, that God in gracious compassion does not love. I'm convinced of that. No soul. And yet as universal as his mercy is, stretching to the greatest confines of all humanity, Jesus Christ has a reserved group of associates. They are those who fear him. Yet God is not biased. Now there again, you could have said another amen. Do I have to coach you folks? There is no biasness with God. I don't know what your opinion is. I don't, I don't know what your background nor your, your environmental education might be regarding the position of God. But I will tell you for a certainty, there is no biasness with God. Biasness is not anything connected with him. That unugly term is part of our failure in humanity. We have become biased, but not God. He is not. There is no prejudice within him. He does not prefer one person above another. There is not in the eyes of God a, a unique culture of people. Everyone with God is the same. How do I know that? Can I prove that? Only by the word of God and by what I've experienced. 
for one of the most profound scriptures known through all the annals of theology and every denomination there is, is simply this. For God so loved the world he gave. You quoted it right along with me. Do we fully understand what that means? God gave the best there is. There's nothing greater than life. And he gave his life for our life. Without exception. Now other people may have a different opinion of you than God has. But that doesn't change God's opinion. He loves you. To the extent that he would go through the incredible state, mentally, physically, and emotionally, that he went to, to achieve your redemption. Amen. So when it comes to humanity, God is clear. In fact, the totality of his love is literally summed up in the final words that he had to communicate when he drew his last breath from the agony of a cross. And he said, it's finished. In other words, God is saying to all that will listen to him, I've gone as far as I can go to help you to become something that you are not, but can be through my grace. It's finished. There's not another thing that can be done. And yet through religion, we somehow think we have to add to what God has done by works. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You can't be good enough, kind enough, charitable enough. Not a thing. Only God can save us and he saved us through the sacrifice of his son. So the determining factor of man's final outcome or his destiny is not left in the hands of God. Our future destiny is on our own hand because you see, we have a will to choose and God will not overstep the privilege he gave you of choice. So the secret of the Lord is with those that fear him and to fear him itself is a choice. Now, we do not normally associate fear with favor, but the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear leads to recognition, and proper recognition results in reverence. If you really understand God, there's not any way you cannot reverence him. Amen. Amen. And reverence, then, is the appropriate response to the creator of all things. And I hope that you know you're not an accident. Amen. I hope you understand that. And the practical side of reverence is submission. Our submission reflects our confidence to what? To the covenant word of God. A covenant speaks of faithfulness and legality. It, if we make a covenant, and let me use possibly a term that is more familiar in the culture in which we live, that you enter into a contract. You go into an agreement with another human being. Biblical terms, 
It's a covenant. If we make a covenant with people, there was within that covenant stipulations. Stipulations that we come to total and absolute agreement upon that regardless of what our prior opinion may be, because we have reconciled our differences, we now come to this mutual agreement that I can totally agree with you. And so we go into covenant. We will be breaking our word and be faithless by not performing according to the agreement of that covenant. We will do it by our actions, and by our actions, we instantly lower our moral standard, and we suddenly become judged as a violator of our word. Now, that's the human element. Let's talk about the God element. Because when God makes a covenant, under no condition does God change his mind. It doesn't make any difference what you do or say or act or live. That does not influence God whatsoever because God has given his word and he is bound to his word. He could not deal with us in grace or out of grace before he ever made a covenant any way he chose. We saw about amazing grace, did we not? Beautifully done. But if God had not made a covenant with us, being God, he could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have shown grace or he could have withheld grace. Before God made a covenant... He has the sovereign right to do whatever he wants to do. Why? Because he's God. But listen to me carefully. Once God gives his word, he will not erase it. He is bound totally by his word. God made a covenant the first covenant that I recognize, and you possibly would too in reading, is the covenant he made by a man by the name of Abraham who lived in Ur of the Chaldees. And basically and primarily, and again, I'm a teacher, so I'm going to go into details. Abraham was a pagan. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. Amen. Now, I don't know how much you know about that, but there, there was no Jew they were all Gentiles. But the Bible says this 75-year-old heathen Gentile heard from God. Now, I don't know how God spoke to him, and that's irrelevant. But he believed God, and in believing God, he maintained an integrity with God and God said to him, because you believe me, I will accredit that or account that as to your righteousness. And God said, because Abraham, you have put yourself out on a limb. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to bless you like you've never been blessed. 
Now remember the man's 75 years old and I don't know how really productive you can become after 75. And I'm a little over the limit, but I won't tell you how far. But here is a 75-year-old man. He says, I'm going to bless you. Bless you how? You see, he and Sarah had never had a child. And God said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to tell you how greatly I'm going to bless you. Because it's beyond the figment of your imagination to comprehend what I have got in store for you. Because if you want to know how I'm going to bless you, you look up into the sky. And if you can count the stars, that's how great your posterity is going to be. And when you walk the sandy shores of where you are, I want you to know when you walk that sod, you are walking in the number of your future generation. And Abraham said, oh my God. But he believed. He believed God. And yet he's a human being and he said to God, well, how can I be sure of this? And God said, all right. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Now, all covenants require some token of agreement. At one time, particularly in our society, you could enter into an agreement with somebody just by your word. Now, some of you haven't lived in that generation. You could just say, I'm going to do such and such, and the person say, I agree, and man, it's done. Or you could do it with a handshake and say, yes. I'll accomplish that. But now in the world and society we live in, we have to sign documents. We have to put our name on the line, and I won't take that any further. But in the Hebrew, and that's what we're dealing with here. In the Hebrew, the word covenant simply means this, to cut or divide. And that's actually what a covenant is. You're cutting something out and you're dividing something in. But in order to do that in a symbolical way, the law or the way it was established is what there were certain species of animals that were cut in half to designate the dividing and the separating. And the two parties had come into agreement would walk between this sacrifice and that would become their covenant. The ironic thing is that when God made this covenant with Abraham and they went through all the preparatory situation, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And in doing so, that totally eliminated man's participation in covenant. And God said, all right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this covenant all by myself. In other words, God is saying the influence of man, his opinion, his judgments, in no way is going to reflect into this covenant because man has a tendency to do what men normally do. But where I'm concerned, when I make this covenant, there will be no breaking of this covenant under any situation. God entered the contract or covenant without 
man's assistance. Amen. And I believe from personal observation and experience, men do break their covenant because we do have a tendency sometimes to talk out of both corners of our mouths. You know, we say one thing to this person and we say another thing to another. Or we agree with you on one thing and we turn our back on you and we'll agree with somebody else. But that's not the way they end with him. Amen. They are his restrictions. According to the writer of the book of Hebrews, I read the word to you and it totally describes it as efficiently as possible. It says, for men indeed swear by the greater. If you go into a court of law and you're called in to be a witness. Now, I'm not an attorney by any means, but I, I've been in courtrooms. And one of the things that intrigue me on television are programs of law. And this is one thing I've known. When they call a witness to come forward, that witness stands in the witness box and he must put his hand on the Bible. What is he doing? He is swearing to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And he's swearing by the greatest authority that there is. Now, if he refuses to tell the whole truth and he deviates from truth to a lie, he has put himself into jeopardy. Amen. Because he has not kept his word. But here the Bible says, swears by the greater oath. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of dispute. Thus God, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs or the one who are going to gain from this agreement, the Im immutability of his counsel, confirming it by his word. So I want to ask you this morning a question. I can't answer it for you. And I hope even when you leave, you will ponder it. But my question is, is this. Is God's word dependable? Is God's word dependable? Let me, let me share with you. Pastor, you never told me what time to be done. So until somebody buzzes in a fire alarm, I'll, I think I'll just keep going. Uh, the food's hot. Don't worry. There's plenty of it. No. Uh, well, I'll make a promise to you. I will not keep you longer than any two hours. That's a promise. All right. There is an incident in Scripture. And brother, if you get into any situation... You can go to the Bible and you can find a solution. But it's not New Testament, it's Old Testament. But it involves a man by the name of Moses, whom God chose to bring his children out of the slavery injustices of the land of Egypt in which they treaded with a broken mentality for 400 years. And God brings them out supernaturally and uses a human being who has already said, I'm not qualified. And that's the thing about us. We're not, but God uses us anyway. Amen. 
And he brought these people out of bondage. Delivered them out of a mentality that had totally that had warped their views, their visionariness, their objectives of living, everything. And God brought them out. And he's leading them into what he says is a promised land. And there are now things that God is going to require out of this new culture-like world he's going to create. And by the way, whether you know it or not, they weren't just a few kids uh, that he was bringing up. They were over three million strong. Now, how would you like to pastor that church? Three million. And all they knew all of their life was bickering and heartache and brokenness and nothing. And they had no way of of judging between life and what it was. And Moses had to deal with every bit of that. And God says, I'm going to establish them as a new nation. And the word calls them that God's intentions was to make them a nation of kings and priests. They were no longer going to be the lower elements of society and life. They were going to become kings and priests. They were going to reach the echelons of the world and lead the rest of the world because they had a revelation. They had a revelation of who the true and living God really was. And that was their primary purpose. And Moses had collected all of these people together and stood before them and brought to them what God's word of covenant agreement would be for them. And the Bible says that at the foot of this mountain, every one of them without exception, they said, we agree and we will enter into covenant with God without question. A few days down the road, Moses goes to the mount. And in his absence... Who did these covenant makers do? They went right back to the old way they used to live through their murmuring and their complaining that either God's killed Moses and were left without a leader. So they collected ladies, all of their earrings and their necklaces and their bracelets. And even the Bible says they took them off their sons and off of their daughters. They threw them in the cauldron and all that gold melted down and all of a sudden Aaron said out popped the golden calf now isn't that a miracle <laughs> and that's the very symbol of Egypt that they had left paganism and they began to fall back in their old ways that wasn't very comfortable with God amen God got angry. And he and Moses got into a real heated discussion. And God made some statements. Brother, let me tell you something. If God says something, you're not going to change God's mind. Amen. God says, and this is the term he used. He says, they are a stiff-necked people. I don't know what your definition of it is, but the Bible means if you're stiff-necked, that means you will not submit your will to the will 
of another authority. Stiff-necked, stubborn, indifferent, hard. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm going to eliminate every one of them. And here stands Moses listening to God's determined will. This is what I'm going to do. Why? Because my wrath has waxed hot against them. So God says to Moses, leave me alone. Amen. Now God said that to Moses for a reason because God knew that if Moses would exercise his authoritative rights as a created being, he could influence God. And God said, leave me alone. One translation says, stand aside, get out of my way. I don't care what you say or do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But you see, again, let me go back. Abraham knew, I mean, excuse me, Moses knew who he was. He knew that when God created man from the dust of the ground, God, by his own mouth, released a statement he would never take back, knowing what the ultimate end was going to be. He looked at that dust-constructed piece of architecture and said to him, have dominion. In other words, Adam, you bear my image. I release my rights, all of my rights as God, excuse me, to the authority of the world I've created. I've made it. I pronounced it good, but I'm giving it to you. You are now in authority. And to this day, God will over, not overstep man's authority. You cannot get God to act in this world that he made without your permission. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. God is the God of his word. When he has drawn the line in the sand, by no purpose or reason is he going to step over it until we exercise our authority by releasing it back to him. Moses said, I understand your heart, God. I understand where you're coming from. I put up with some of this rebellion. I know what you're going through. I'm not going to bicker with you. I'm not going to argue with you. But I will say this to you, Lord. What about your word? What are you going to do about your word? What about that promise you made to the patriarch called Abraham when you said you were going to bless his seed as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the earth? Have you changed your views or are you the God of your word? Amen. How do you stand on your word? Because God swore by no greater than himself. Because the covenant was made with him and himself. So regardless of the fury of his wrath against willful disobedience, God was restricted by his word. Amen. A fact we must accept. 
and I'm a preacher, and I'm going to tread some theology right now. Forgive me, Pastor. But a fact we must accept about prayer is that prayer does not alter God's determined will. You say, what? Then why do we pray? Because the Bible says prayer is not an option. We are commanded to pray. Who is commanded to pray? We, the mortal, created with the authority by God to exercise our rights in this earth. But when we come up against crises, and we do, we face them in relationship, finances, physical, emotional, and every degree of living that we do to the place that we find ourselves exhausted and do not know what to do. I don't care where you live, what you've got or what you don't have. Life is going to knock you on your... Who said that? Can. It will do it. And when you're there, I don't care what your degree is. I don't care what your profession is or what it is not. You are in a state of destitute and confusion and do not know what to do. And in that desperation, it is when we realize our inadequacy and recognize the our sovereign authority of God and we humble ourselves and say, not my will, but yours be done, that God will intercede in our situation. Prayer actually is, as strange as it might seem, it is a oxymoron. Because in the word of God, the prophet Isaiah said, these words, it shall come to pass before you even call. I will answer, and while you are still speaking, I, I will act. Well, if God knows what I have need of before I pray, why do I have to pray? Come on. Why do I have to pray? But I have to pray to release God's sovereign will to do it. It is the humble, simple, trustful spreading of God's divine promise before the throne of grace which secures his ear and gains his attention. We can whine, we can carry on, you can do all you want to, but God is going to say, mm, I'm not interested in that. But when you say, God, you said, you've got his attention. Amen. You've got his attention. Paul said when he wrote to the Philippians that our God shall supply all our needs according to his riches in heaven. Amen. And Numbers chapter 23 and 19 says, and I want you to listen to this very carefully. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? There is one verse of scripture that is astounding, and is God is saying this, put me in remembrance. Put me in remembrance. 
God is not saying, you remind me of something, but he's saying, what I have done for you, let it remind you of what I can still do. Put me in remembrance and let us contend together and state our case and let's get this thing acquitted. Amen. Is God's word dependable? When God spoke and pastor brought the history of this fellowship up at the very beginning, when God spoke and put it in the hearts of the men who were to bring this about, did God know what he was doing or was God blowing smoke? Amen. Or did God have a purpose in mind? God doesn't move by our timetable, folks. But God knew what he was doing and in knowing what God was doing and by God releasing his promise, what are you doing this morning from different cultures, backgrounds, nationalities, and even languages? What are you doing this morning? You are celebrating the covenant that God made because God is the God of his word. Amen. Did Moses influence God whatsoever? Well, if you will read the book of Exodus, the Bible says that when Moses got through with God, God repented. That's what it says. And said, I will not do it. So you don't change God's mind when you pray. But I'll tell you what you do change. You change his response. Amen. You change his response. Because there's a nature in God that if you tap it, you have touched a resource that is incredible. And what is it? God, by nature, is love. Amen. And we, through prayer, have tapped the nature of our God. So I ask you, and I'm sorry if I've been too long, and yet I do want to thank you for something. You've been such an outstanding congregation. You've really helped me to work out a frustration that I've been dealing with for a long time. So thank you for that. But leave with this thought. Is God really the God of his word? Amen.